hello. Welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I'm your host. This is my podcast and uh, I have a great guest today. My guest, this has been someone I've wanted to have on the show for a long time and he's finally here. He, he lives in New York. He was visiting Los Angeles and, uh, and here he is with me today, Brian Koppelman. He's a filmmaker, a writer, a podcaster, a TV creator. He's the co-writer of Ocean's 13, Rounders, The Girlfriend Experience. He's the co-creator, showrunner, and EP of Showtime's Billions. Uh, he wrote and co-directed Solitary Man, and he just oh, so he just does so many cool things. And the way, the way I even discovered Brian Koppelman was, uh, well, first off, he became, he like blew up on Vine. He had these things called screenwriting in six seconds or less on Vine. And these were just these amazing tips for screenwriters. And then I started following him on Twitter and Instagram at Brian Koppelman, just so you know. And then I, I really became a huge, huge, huge fan listening to his podcast because I'm not just a podcaster, I'm also a podcast fan. I fell in love with his podcast called The Moment. And his podcast uh, is all about the moment in someone's life. He has these, uh, he has these guests. He, he has amazing guests. And then he asks them about the moment uh, in his guests' lives where everything changed. And he also talks about you know, writing and time management. And just uh, I just find every conversation he has with his guests fascinating, inspiring, and, you know, makes me feel less alone. And I walk away thinking, you know, all revved up and going like, oh my God, I'm going to change the world. I've got to get in touch with my creative side and do more and really be authentic and true to myself and get my thoughts and ideas out into the world. That's my goal. Anyway. And so here he is today. We have a lovely conversation about a million different things. Uh, personally, I would like to learn how to be better at, uh, at hour-long conversations with my guests because I'm so used to, I'm spoiled. I'm so used to having these like two hour, sometimes two and a half, three hour conversations with my guests where you can like really take your time and just talk about everything, explore everything. And all of a sudden their barriers, their walls are down. They're exhausted after the first hour. And then I really go in and they tell me everything because they forget that we're podcasting. But uh, today was a quick romp of a conversation. I had him for an hour and I'm just so thankful I had him on the show at all. So thank you, Brian Koppelman, wherever you are, who knows what you're up to right now. You do it all. You play ping pong. You have a beautiful family. He has an incredible wife who's a very talented writer. She wrote a book called I Smile Back. Uh, She wrote many books, but you might have heard of her book called I Smile Back because it was turned into a movie starring Sarah Silverman and... uh, her name is Amy Levine. That's Brian Koppelman's wife. She's actually Amy Koppelman now, but how dare you? Anyway, so make sure to watch, uh, read her book, watch the movie that it was turned into. She co-wrote the screenplay and uh, just get into her life because I'm hoping to have her on my podcast someday because I really, you know, uh, she seems extremely inspiring and interesting and uh, I always like having fascinating, talented, inspirational women on my show. So I hope you're listening, Amy. Anyway, Thank you for letting me speak to your husband. Anyway, you guys, what else can I tell you? Um, I do want to say, uh, if you want to be friends with me on social media, I would love that. I have a bad habit of DMing with strangers on Instagram, and I'm completely addicted. And we talk about this during, uh, during the podcast with Brian. I'm completely addicted to Insta stories. So, um, you know, 
If you want to find out more about that, follow me on Instagram at Alexi Wasser. If you like this podcast, if you like the Love Alexi podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment, tell anyone who will listen. Tell, uh, I was going to say the barista at Starbucks, but don't tell him because uh, we're boycotting Starbucks. They've got a lot of shit to get in order. All right, stay away from Starbucks. Go to Target. Tell your checker at Target. Tell your Lyft driver. Tell all your friends. Uh, tell everybody at the discotheque you're going to go to later tonight. Who knows? Just spread the word. Um, if you want to support the show, you can, and I would love for you to do that. By, uh, if you want to become my patron saint, my patron saint of the arts, go to patreon.com forward slash Alexi. No donation or pledge is too big or too small. It's all completely appreciated. Patreon.com forward slash Alexi. If you donate, you help me be able to afford equipment uh, and uh, be able to afford to keep doing the show. Believe it or not, it costs money to uh, be an independent podcaster. So, uh, you know, I love you if you become a patron saint. I've got to learn how to pronounce that word patron, patron. I think my mic is too close to my mouth. Whatever. I'll learn how to do it properly one day, but you get what I'm saying. Anyway, and uh, if you'd like to advertise on the Love Alexi podcast, fantastic. Send an email uh, with all advertising inquiries to dearlovealexi at gmail.com. And uh, if you're in Los Angeles and a female, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you are a female in Los Angeles and maybe you're new to Los Angeles or you're lonely or you're heartbroken or you're in a great mood and you just want to make new friends and hang out and share who you are and what you're up to and mix and mingle, I'm throwing a girls' night in party in West Hollywood on the last Saturday in April, April 28th at 8 p.m. It's a girl party. I throw these events called Girls' Night In every single month, and this one is going to be a big one. I want this. I want all of you to come out. It's sponsored by Paps Blue Ribbon. It's going to be fun. Uh, we're all going to be best friends by the end of it. So if you want to come, all you have to do is DM me on Instagram. You can also send an email to dearlovealexi at gmail.com if you have questions or you just want to get a ticket. And you get a present. You get drinks all night. You get the experience. And... Uh, yeah, drinks, a cool feminine present or whatever the hell that means, and uh, and just a fun night to make new girlfriends and feel less alone. If that sounds interesting, you know where to find me. Other than that, I'm going to shut the fuck up so you can enjoy my lovely conversation with the inspiring, talented, incredibly kind Brian Koppelman. It's happening. Oh my god. Oh, we did it. You can go. That's all I really wanted. It's happening, right? This is Aristotle. Here's my sound engineer. How are you? You were there. Oh my god. So you did Bill Bill Simmons and then the Love Alexi podcast? I'm getting it all done. I can't believe it. It's all happening. We're not missing a beat, are we? Corolla tomorrow. What'd you say? And then Corolla? How dare you talk? I've been here before doing. Um, oh my god! I should, be, I should be insta-storing all of this. Yeah, this is this is very exciting for me. It's fine not to insta-story. Okay, just live it. <laughs> I know. You can just That's fucking. What I'm doing. You can just fucking live it. That's what I've been doing. That's what we're doing right now. It feels crazy. <laughs> oh god. Um, let's settle in. We are recording. We start the minute. But if you say anything crazy, as I expect you to, racist, misogynist, as you're known for, we'll cut it out. I don't want to frame you in a bad light, you know? What? Yeah, I mean, why do you think that stuff hasn't... Hi, Lexi. Yeah. How are you? Hi, Brian Koppelman. Am I saying the name right? 
Yeah, you've passed that test. Uh, that's all. <laughs> you have nailed it. <laughs> yeah, we're done. It's happened now. Oh my god. Um, these are my copious notes for you. Good. Yes, you you have um, been prepping for a while because you asked me to do this. I've been prepping for a while. I have been like, yeah, yeah spiritually, emotionally, I've been. These are excellent. <laughs> God, and then I was like, maybe I should look at his Wikipedia page like 10 minutes before you came into the studio. But I just, listen, we have you for an hour. I don't want to rant. How much do you prep generally? Because um, I do like I at do. least two hours. You do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, sometimes I, I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this because you're a, you know, a master podcaster. Um, if I prep too much, there's no like discovery during the thing. And then it's so rote and controlled and it's not as good. No, know. it's the thing where you then want to throw away the notes. I mean, you got to throw away the notes. Yeah. If you've done that. <clears throat> but I don't want to... Fi- I hate when I find out later... Yeah, that you didn't ask about that, the thing. Like, wait, that person did the thing. Yeah. Or they went through this tough... Like, if if somehow they'll reference something in the podcast... Yeah. ...that I missed... You feel bad? Yeah, it just would get me crazy. But that's my problem, probably. No, I feel like also... Maybe this is a narcissistic trait, and I don't think I'm a narcissist... But I know we, I mean, listen, you, you post you talking, <laughs> you guys can see his facial expression, but, uh, I really don't think I'm a narcissist, even though I post a lot of me talking directly into a camera, but you do too. We'll get there. Not as much. Okay. You just say what you need to say. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but I do feel very similar to you. I don't know. I, I see myself in you, which I don't want to say is like, why wow, I really like you. I think you're, I mean, I could. I mean, well, that's super sweet. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Something. Uh, I'm going to project all this stuff on you, and then I'll actually ask you about you. Okay. You so. just talk. No, I don't I want know, to. That's good. No. Go ahead. Say it, though. No, project. No, I just, uh, you, I, well, first of all, how do we even become internet friends? Because I've never met you. This is the first time I've ever met you in real life. You, tw- you tweeted at me. I did? Yeah. What did I say? Something about the podcast and me and like yeah if, uh, if i could ever come on your podcast that would be like a thing that's why myself. i'm here this is how i'm here <laughs> you're like how did this come to be you asked a bunch of times over i don't think i said it a bunch of but i think uh, maybe i did i'm sure i did over the over a period of years but uh yes and then why are you in la because billions yeah um premieres on some sunday night. when does this go up this can go up whenever you want. I can no, go up, when do you? When uh, do you? It was going to go up in like two weeks. That's fine. So I'm out here because this, so that'll be around when episode three of the show. But when we're having this conversation, season three is about to premiere. Yeah, we're doing an event at Lockman with Elvis Mitchell tonight and Film Independent, That's a exciting. panel. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great because Elvis is one of my podcasting interview heroes. I think he's his prep is just like nobody else is as he is to you what you are to me. That's very sweet. This, this is true. He's amazing, and so. Um, I was coming out to do that, and then I did these other podcasts while I'm out here, um, generally, you know, promoting the show. And then also, like Simmons and Corolla are old friends of mine, and yeah. you're a new friend, so. A new friend. I know. I listened to one of the ones with Corolla, and what, was there some kind of herky-jerky moment? What, what was the disconnect there? Remember? You did one? Oh, after Trump. Well, what happened? Did he say something kind of bizarre, and you were like, well... And it seemed like it was a little bit of like butting heads clashing. Well, we awkward. see Adam and I see a lot of the world, the the politics of the world, or the import we each place on who's in elected office, is quite different. The last time I was on the, la- the last time I was on his show, we talked about it, and when he was on mine, and 
the first time he was on my show, I'd done his a bunch. I was trying to talk to him about race in America. And I think we come at it from slightly... We, um, I believe, I know him for a long time now, uh, he some, wants equality. We have um, different ways that we would go after it. He has no faith in the government to do anything. I have more faith. He's a libertarian. I'm a Democrat. So yeah. that's what was going on in that podcast. Yeah. And then I... Um, but I had spoken to him and then Trump was elected and I held that first podcast that he did on um, for a few months as I was just trying to figure out whether I did a good enough job as the uh, interlocutor with him or not. And in the end, it was one of people, like um, the response I got was among the best. Also, this is super boring. No, it's not super boring. I'm just listening. It's a miracle. I listen. I can listen. Um, Yeah. Yes, but no, I mean... um, like sort of like the inner workings of the podcast game. Yeah. But um, I really think that the two podcasts that he and I did together on the moment are worth listening to. And what people really liked was it was people from sort of opposite sides of the political spectrum having a conversation without arguing, without yelling, really listening to each other, really trying to understand the other person's point of view while trying to change their mind. And yeah. Um, that's the way to it's do it. It's very raw and open yeah. conversation, which is what I think you heard. That's what, yeah. there was no glitchy thing. It was yeah. more, most of the time on a podcast, everybody is on the same team on all things. And he and I were gen- really having this combo like we would have had without mics, just with the mics. Yeah. People should be uncomfortable for a minute. It serves them. Should we do like a totally uncomfortable silent moment? I've done those before. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, totally switching gears. Go. So the crazy thing is when I think I meant is like, uh, I'm so in awe of you and I kind of like, uh, made you my internet spirit guide of like, uh, while you've done all these things, you've written a million movies, you write, you produce, you direct, just do all these things. I feel like I got to know you the most over like your internet persona, what you put out on the internet. Cause you went through this period of like, and we'll talk about that on Vine. Yes. And then I just got into your podcast. So that's how I really like learned about you. And then I listened to so many episodes, you know, and I heard like from your first episode where you started. And that's why I say you remind me because it's like you podcast as well. You, you you know, like it's a, it's a real, it's exhausting. It's a lot. It's kind of scary. You put yourself out there. I've read that you get anxiety and that's why you've gone, you know, that's why you do transcendental meditation. I used to, yeah. And like I, I, I have to take beta blockers. I meditate every day, twice a day. But for me, and I don't know if you can relate to this, for whatever reason, I've always tried to, even with how I put myself out there in sometimes a disgusting way too much on on uh, Instagram, I've always pushed myself to go, to put myself out there despite the discomfort of like maybe, you know, doing something scary like a podcast or meeting, you know, talking to a new person every week. So... And I've just seen your growth. It's my God. And it's like, I can't believe it. Like the, the guests, the way in which you, it's, it's just so second nature. You're so great at podcasting. Well, that's really sweet of you to say. You know, um, I had started, it's funny, when someone listens to your podcast a lot, they know you in a real way. Yeah. Especially if you do the kind of pod that I do or that you do, where it's a conversation, not just an interview, so that people who listen to the show do know who I am, I mean, they kind of know the best of me, not, 
you know, uh, probably the fullness of the ways in which I don't live up to who I want to be, which we all have also. Who's that? We'll get there. No, I mean, all of us have moments where we're more short-tempered than we wish we would be or distractible in when I'm, because the mission of the podcast I do is uh, about accessing the most creative part of yourself and finding a way to tap into it and maximize it. I'm really focused on trying to learn about that from the guests and then revealing whatever about myself that helps us get to that place. And it is something that I'm constantly aware of. All this stuff, I think maybe the Vine series I did was like the first thing that you, you know, when I did these screenwriting videos, six second screenwriting videos, that was the thing when I, the first time I like, um, really was out in public, they, they had, I got 60 million loops. What compelled you to do that? Like what happened? What was your, and well, I was, I was looking at Vine just trying to see what it was. And at the, the same time I would do these Twitter Q and A's back then. I still do them, but I didn't have very many followers then. And people would ask me these questions that had an underlying premise that was faulty. In other words, they would say, I know that all screenplays have to have a five-act structure and an inciting incident on page 10, but what if I have an idea? And I would be like, wait, where did someone tell you that? Yeah. And they would say, oh, this seminar at the Radisson yeah. and or the Sheraton. And I would... <laughs> um, so I just said into Vine one day, um, all screenwriting books are bullshit. All of them read screenplays, watch movies, and let those be your guide. And then I jokingly called the six-second screenwriting lessons and sent it out. And then it went kind of crazy. Uh, a bunch of actors and writers and directors reached out to me, and they were like, someone had to say this stuff. Thanks for saying it. And I made a bunch of them, and I made one every day for like 336 days. And by the end, I did have I had 60 million views. And um, I had two rules for it. Um, one was I would only say things that I thought were genuinely useful. And the second was I would stop when I didn't have anything that new to say in that particular form. But what I found most fascinating about the way people responded was that most of what I was talking about was permission, was this idea that we can give ourselves permission to be creative, that nobody else has to give us permission to take a risk. Nobody else has to give us permission to try to be the best version of ourselves. Nobody else has to give us permission to take out just a pencil or a pen and a journal and try to write. And I was doing those vines for other people, but I was doing them for myself. I was had had uh, plenty of success writing movies and television and doing a whole bunch of other stuff, but I was at a low ebb, I think, and a low ebb creatively. I had a movie that didn't do well, been fired from a show that we were supposed to run that we never got to write anything on, uh, one of these... Bad Hollywood moments. You and David Levin? Levine. Levine. Ooh. And my lifelong best friend and creative partner. And um, I wasn't consciously talking to myself, but somewhere along the way I realized I was trying to remind myself that I didn't need anyone's permission either yeah. to do this stuff. And out of the vines came the podcast and came this idea of communicating with people on social media, being open about how hard it can be to take creative risks. Not hard in the way it's hard to be a fire person, but um, emotionally hard because uh, there is a, a need to be vulnerable 
in order to do this work. And that feels frightening sometimes. And we all need to be reminded that everybody feels that way when they do the thing, that everybody has moments of panic about showing who they really are, um, about swinging and missing, right? About trying and failing. And so that engaging that conversation was incredibly helpful and healing to me, even though um, if you'd asked me, I would have answered honestly and meant and still mean I was doing it to help other people because I've studied con men my whole life. I've written about con men and I, I really feel like supposed screenwriting teachers are mostly con men and women. Yeah. I don't think that they, uh, most of most people who charge to evaluate your script and give you the ways to, you know, beat Hollywood and get through and how to write a specific genre to me, that stuff's snake oil. And I wanted to call it out. But that was the top note thing. That the, the truth is, if you go deeper, why do people want that? Why do they want someone to give them the rules? Because they want permission. Oh, God, you're so right. And so if you just take the need for them to... No one needs to give you permission. You know, nobody gave Coron permission to write Itumama Tambien, which doesn't follow any rule that there is. Yeah. And is its own... Thing. Imagine showing the pig scene to a fucking screenwriting teacher. They wouldn't even know how to grasp it. They wouldn't even understand what you were after. They wouldn't understand it on a, they're, they're so their rigidity wouldn't even allow them to understand the metaphor or to understand the idea of the relationship between these three people um, in, in, that, in that movie. And I could list a thousand movies. I just grabbed that one um, because I like the, word, the way the word tambien sounds. But... Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, the, so that's, that's why I began doing that stuff and why I think it's helpful. Um, I, to answer the thing you asked earlier, I used to have pretty bad anxiety. You did? Why? Well, because we're all going to die. Oh, yeah. Everything you love will be taken away. Yeah. Everyone you love will die. I try to use that to propel me. Yeah, no, yeah. it works both ways. Yeah. But um, meditation. Meditation and morning pages, you know, longhand pages in the morning really solve it. Longhand, so actually like pen to paper. Like, did you ever read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron? I didn't. I feel like I've read every other book. You gotta do The Artist's Way. I gotta way. do The Artist's Way. My mom did it, and I think that's what makes you go like, ugh, her life but, is not the way I wanted to be, and she read that book. I, I can't read this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but, but she did have an artistic life, your mother. Yeah, she's she, still alive. <laughs> I know, but she was, I mean, yeah. she's not still singing, is she still yeah. singing rock songs? Oh my God, I can't believe you did research on me being no, on my no, podcast or no, just from Instagram, I No, guess. you post all the things. All right, that's true. Yeah, she still makes music and does lots of stuff, yeah. Yeah, she's a creative, whimsical person, yeah. I will read The that, artist but, way doesn't make you want, so one of the things Julia Cameron talks about is that like we have examples of, we'll tell ourselves a disempowering story like, well, if I want to be truly being, uh, you know, people who make these choices are crazy and I don't want to be crazy like them, so I'm not going to do it. The book's not perfect, but the morning pages, the way she describes them and the point of view she has about what it takes to do creative work is amazing. And I probably have purchased The Artist's Way for 100 people of the, the, those people. Where's my book? 10 people. Where is it? Did sell it here at Meltdown Comics. <laughs> going of, out of, those, <laughs> of those 10 ha- probably read the whole thing, and of those, like seven published either novels or got screenplays made. The book's incredibly powerful. But you're saying your, your horrible anxiety because we're all going to die 
Where were you going with that? You it went it away when I started meditating and doing, and doing your journaling. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely do journal. I do it for other things. Uh, not, not the first thing in the morning. But I'm doing like this hypnotherapy stuff to like access all the, which I thought was going to be bullshit as well. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And now I'm doing these workshops online where I access my subconscious to bring up all my bullshit. And I'm like weeping, holding my like reparenting, like the six-year-old me having a conversation. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Is this really happening? Do you feel better after? I, it's catharsis of some sort? I guess so. I, I thought it was going to be ridiculous. but uh, And then you have to journal all the stuff. And I did like a bunch of these courses. But I've always loved journaling because I always did feel like this... I live so intensely in my mind. Are you an only child? No. I have two awesome sisters. Two awesome sisters. Do you think that makes you respect women more? You're, you're not... One shouldn't have to have female <laughs> family members to respect women. That's the right answer. That was a test and you passed. <laughs> well, um, but I, uh, I remember I live so intensely in my head. I am an only child. So I've always loved just like blank books and journals and felt like I got all my anxiety, you know, onto the page. It really does funnel out of your body. It's good first thing in the morning. Yeah. It helps. Um, well, God, I mean, I only have a little minute. I want to get, I want to ring you dry. Go. I got to get everything. Okay. So we know why you're in Los Angeles. You got a great life. You're doing your stuff. Billions, yakety schmackety, all the stuff. But then uh, little, little Brian, where did you come from? I want to know how you, and by the way, your wife's name is Amy Levine. Amy Koppelman now, but yeah. All right. But, yes, Amy but, Levine. So the two most important people in your life have the same last name, but a slight difference in spelling? Sure. How yeah. did this happen? Well, they were obviously both part of the Levite right. tribe of Whoa. the 12 tribes of... Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> we can podcast all day. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, uh, what do you want to know now? I just want to know, like, because you're in the music, but like where you were born, how you, I want to know, I'm going to copy your style of podcasting a tad, which I've already started doing, ripping you off left and right, where I ask people, what, you know, you're so interested in the process of uh -huh. an artist process. And then you're also interested in knowing, you know, the moment in which everything changed in somebody's life. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to know what that was for you, because I know you're in the music business. Give me the highlights. Give me the, uh, I want to. Where do you want me to start, though? I want you to start, like, uh, uh, what did you think you were going to do? You, you went, you go oh, to... That's really good. Yeah. I like that question yeah. a lot. So I would have, I definitely thought, well, at different points, I love to ask people if um, they were recognized for the thing that made them special when they were young. And the thing that they end up doing that they've been maybe rewarded for, were you, were you noticed for that in a way? Or did you know that about yourself? And I didn't know about myself that I would be doing the stuff that I'm doing. I had, um, I knew I had a high level of verbal acuity. I loved words, and I could use them really well in an advanced uh, way when I was young. But I was not a great student. I was a bad student. I was considered an underachiever. I would have some teachers who would recognize that I loved to read and that I could talk about what I read in a serious way. But mostly they were annoyed that I was a wise ass and I wouldn't do their work. And um, I didn't give a fuck about what they had to say. Yeah, You had to earn my... I would say I was never somebody who respected authority for authority's sake. Why and is that? I just didn't... I 
I made you prove it to me. You had to be smart. Did you come you, from a good family, though? Yeah. You did? Oh, yeah. My Solid? parents are amazing. Oh, wow. My mom died um, young. at six, She was 64. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Yeah. Loved my mom. And, um, but, no, I had, a, I had an intact, really great family life. My trouble was that I had, I think, re- pretty severe ADHD, some form of a kind of dyslexia, like a latent kind of dyslexia that wasn't easy to diagnose, but I couldn't really read until I knew I had an, uh, a very big vocabulary, but I couldn't read till a little bit later than a lot of other people. Then I taught myself to speed read. Okay. And uh, between fourth and fifth grade, I taught myself to speed read. And, and then we took some reading and comprehension tests at the beginning of fifth grade. And I read faster and comprehended more than everybody else, except one woman, girl then, Nancy Pill. Nancy, wherever you are. Shout out to Nancy. You comprehended, I comprehended 99% of the thing and you comprehended 100. Was she the first girl you made but out it with? it shocked everybody. <laughs> no, now that I said her last name, I can't say the rest of what I would say. Oh God. Well, I'll bleep her last name out. Um, no, I didn't make out with her. She was great. Um, but... I no no I'll tell you so but I I would say that there was always a disconnect between like what I thought I might be capable of and what I was actually doing but I couldn't figure it out I believed that I was lazy and underachieving for the beginning of it I knew it, it was weird because I had parents who were super supportive they made sure that I knew that the fact that I could read and remember all these books and you know recite them back to you and that I could synthesize information if I cared about it, I could like learn stuff, synthesize, make new ideas out of it was like really good and and was um to them like important. It enabled me not to. Um, allow the judgment of the teachers to be like a final judgment. And it also allowed me to decide, okay, well, even as early as sixth grade, fifth grade, if I thought the teacher was just teaching by rote, if I thought that they weren't actually inspired by it, or if I thought they weren't making the effort to understand all of us, then I didn't give a fuck about them. Oh, good. Yeah, Rebel. No wonder you got into music. Yeah, I just knew that I like had... um, And I knew somehow that it didn't really matter how well I did in high school. I knew I would like talk myself into a good college somehow because back then you could write this essay and you could go meet the people at the school. And I knew if I could go meet some admissions person, I could, um, I could convince them that I would do something good for where I went. Charm isn't learned, is it? Is it just in, it's just well, in you? Well, I'd say charm is a thing. Like, so, uh, charm is, you know, a tool sociopaths use. Oh, really? Uh-oh. A huge one. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, just charm, like thin charm, basically. No, but the ability to connect with people, to actually form connections, to yeah. actually communicate what matters to you and that you can see what matters to them. Uh, there's some common... Yes, that can be learned, but a lot of that's probably innate empathy. Yeah. Because, like, I think the other side of charm maybe is... um. I never thought about being. Tra- I never thought for a moment in my life about being charming. I thought about connecting with people, connecting and with being people. empathetic. Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like being able to understand somebody else. It's 
interesting. I, I kind of like dissected that with, with me, not to keep throwing it back to me, no, but, no. Uh, but I remember I used to want to deflect and kind of hide. I was always, I, I always loved learning about people because it made me feel less alone. So I, I, and I learned, I liked asking questions since I was really little, other people questions so I could learn, learn, learn. And also I realized through that people like it. They lit up, people want to be heard. Wow. They, and like you connect with the person and also I can hide. I can be quiet. And I can seem like we're, you know, but not give anything away of myself. Sure. So it's all these things. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And my father was in music, so I knew about the music business. I knew that there was a business. And I loved it. I would escape. I mean, that books and music and movies and comedy, those were the things. I played a lot of sports. I'd say a saving grace was I was a decent athlete. Oh, what kind of, what kind of sports? I played varsity, basketball, varsity, tennis. How yeah. tall are you? Six feet. You're six feet. And... um but I wasn't a. I mean, I wasn't playing like a big man position in basketball. Right, I was relax. a guard. I'm just saying. <laughs> I was a guard. I'm still but, worthy. <laughs> but um, but no, I was a coordinated. I could throw and catch, and so that like when you're a boy, yeah, it makes life easier, especially if you're like someone who's in other ways outsider ish. Being able to throw and catch is like a huge advantage. It still is. Like it shouldn't be. Yeah. It totally shouldn't matter. God. It's but the way boys are socialized, still, you know, you're if a huge separator. Is like if we go out on the field, like someone hits the ball, can you catch it? Can you throw the guy out? And like I could, and that was just an advantage, yeah. you know, a small but important. I wasn't like the best athlete or anything, but I was like a good enough athlete. But then you had this like other life. Or what about when did music come into play? Because I feel like yeah, I went that way. I was like smoking cigarettes. I'm five eleven. People were like, be on the basketball team. So I tried that one day and I went, fuck this. I'm going to work the door at nightclub, at like you know, shows and I date, did all that. Date effeminate men and with right. curly hair or whatever. They were all like Brian May. I didn't. Um, Brian May, Queen's guitar player with oh, the curly pretty hair. Much. I'm thinking Liam Gallagher. That's fine. Thinking, thinking of the nineties. <laughs> Pick someone from Blur. How dare I'm you? I'm Blur, not Oasis. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Damon. I'm much more Damon. Another exclusive. Yes. <laughs> but wait, we've got so much stuff to cover. You have no idea. You're so good at your interviews. You cover everything in an hour. Me, I need these like an eon length. They all feel like they ramble along mine. And then they just somehow get somewhere. I it's know all how fine. You, how you met your wife, what kind of man you are, all this stuff. Wing a woman, you got to give me life advice, all this stuff. Okay, yeah, so, so I'll so go quick to it. So music no, happens, why? I was, well, my, my father would take me with him to the recording studio a lot. So I was around it. Like you, my dad, like you, your mom, I was around musicians my whole life and would go to the recording studio all night long with my dad when he was making records. He was um, a music publisher and a producer of records. Who did he produce? A lot of Barbra Streisand albums, Dolly Parton. Oh, re- oh my God, I love Dolly Parton. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Darren. And um, work with like the Love and Spoonful stuff from before you were born. Stop but, at me. You were, you just the person. I was born. Time. I'm like 54. I'm just aging beautifully. It's remarkable. Keep going. You know what? It's remarkable. <laughs> but the thing is that, so I was primed and I loved music and I spent so much time listening to music and caring about it a, an incredibly huge amount. When I got to college, a bunch of things came together. So by the time I got to college, I had started to think about the world differently I'd started like caring about the world and like my place in the world and what mattered. And this is during the middle of the eighties when there was a huge movement to uh, divest colleges endowments from South Africa. They were investing in companies that were doing business with South Africa during apartheid South Africa. And so 
I was one of the leaders of the movement on our campus to do that, to force the uh, board of the school to divest their endowment. And within doing that, some I was organizing a big all-campus boycott of classes and a concert. And someone told me there was this folk singer around campus who should play at the rally, and I went to see her. And that was Tracy Chapman, and that's how my... So then I produced Tracy's demos, and I worked with her, and I made that album. You produced her demos? Yeah. If oh you look, God. If you look at the album with Fast Car, and it says executive produced by me and that's, another person. I believe I, you. I'll take your word. I know. No, that's I, incredible. We, I, so like during my senior year of college, we worked on that album. She was in California recording um, with a guy named David Kirshenbaum, who produced the album, and I was getting dat tapes um, every day and commenting on the, what we were doing and talking to the producer, and we made that album during my senior year. It came did out. You, did you when? It came out in April of my senior year of college. And did you just know how to do it, just based on being around your dad? Wow. By well, I started Learning. managing bands when I was thirteen. Like I, what I mean, bands? I'm, Give us oh, a scoop. Lo- they're not. Come on. Well, I wasn't a good thirteen-year-old manager of bands. <laughs> like I guess for a thirteen-year-old, I was good at it. <laughs> what bands? The Rolling Stones. <laughs> I, mean, what, I knew it. What, what, what I managed the Stones and Pink Floyd. I just That's the other thing. I said to Roger Waters, listen, you and Dave should come back. There's no reason that you and Dave Gilmore can't. And I almost had it to I almost had them back together for a stadium oh tour. No, I managed like local little bands. Like I said to this one band, the best band like in the junior high. I was like, if I can convince the principal to let you guys play at um, some event where they would always have like stodgy bands. And I was like, if I can get your band to play, can I be your manager? And they said, yeah, no one could get whatever to let them do it. Yeah. Then I convinced the guy. and then Charming. Empathetic charmer. I'm not sure. I convinced him of the logic of getting people interested in the assembly. Yeah. I was like, this will get people in. Anyway, it worked. I managed the band, but not particularly well. I'm imagining like, oh, I don't even know if I'm allowed to make a Louis reference in this cultural climate, but you know, the, remember the episode where, it's, where his manager is like 12 years old? Yeah. That's so, it's so hilarious. Yeah. But I really was um, managing bands basically my age or a couple years older than I was. And I was around it. I was going in the studio and trying to like make records, make demo tapes and all that stuff. I would have told you that's what I, I was going to do with my life. Let's get to the side if you no one's ever going to see. Uh, okay. Were you smoking cigarettes? Were you doing drugs? Were you smoking pot? Were you, you know, wooing, uh, you know, uh, hippie, young chic, hippie women? I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, well, who is this Brian we're talking about? Um, they're, they're not, no, there are not going to be any wooing stories. Okay. Uh, sorry. I want to know how you met your wife, though. I'll tell you. Yeah, sure. But, um, and she has an open invitation to be on my podcast if she'll ever she come here. She definitely do it. I Next time she's in I adore her from a distance. She's a genius. So she is an actual genius. Amy Koppelman, go read her novels. They're really totally brilliant. Um, and watch her movie, I Smile Back. Her movie, Back. I Smile Back, which is based on her novel. is, And she wrote the movie also. It was really great. She co-wrote it with Paige Dillon. Um, I always want to make sure writers get proper the proper credit for writers. Love it, yeah. I wasn't smoking cigarettes, but it's a good question because later a cigarette comes into play. But no, I mean, I just smoked pot in college. I didn't, and, and, um, what about LSD, ayahuasca, any kind of psychedelic mushroom? No, man. Things? I have a friend who's like um, done 40 ayahuasca trips. He goes to Peru all the time. I got to say, too I'm, far. I'm just skeptical. <laughs> I'm just, um, I'm just skeptical about. The the 40th time, are you really having the insights? Are yeah. they that dramatic? It's like, I don't, I don't like think the it's one time, <laughs> no, like the one or two times where it's like everything changed. But how many times can every single thing change? Yeah, 40 times. What's left then? Yeah. 
Where are we then? Where After are we the then? 40th ayahuasca, three day, right? Aren't they a couple days? I've never done ayahuasca. I've done DMT twice, which was dumb. It was just me just going along with a guy I wanted to impress, being like, oh my God. Well, actually, you know, I had Hamilton Morris on the podcast and I like, uh, you know, uh, fell into, I was wooed by his magnetism. Um, actually, he said very little. I just kept after him. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I did DMT with him and then another another person. That was interesting. It lasted for 15 minutes, but I really don't like drugs. I did mushrooms by myself. You've never done mushrooms? Yeah, it wasn't that. I will say that I wasn't big into like, I'd smoked a lot of pot for a period yeah, of time. I can't stand pot. I like I like coffee and rosé sometimes, and even then, I think I was bad for And I knew cocaine me. was a disaster, so I never did. I yeah. knew cocaine was just a total disaster because of the music. Like, I would watch. Yeah. I would go to studios when I was young, and I would see the people who did blow. Like, my dad never shielded me from anything, and so he would show me. Like, look look at that. Yeah. So I would know that dude is doing blow, and I would watch the way he acted all night long, and it was an amazing object lesson. There was no chance I was going to yeah. do that. Um, you didn't drink very much too. Right? What do no, you drink? those aren't my. No, those aren't. I mean, last night I oh, drank tequila. tequila with David Chang and David Costable, and that was a giant mistake. But um, I don't drink. I drink. I drink three. If I drink three drinks in a night, it happens once a year. Oh, I don't drink. Like I'll have one. I drink. I have a drink. That's it. No, I would say I would act out. The ways in which I would act out were much more. Um, just by bucking authority. That's all I ever... Like, just knowing that I was going to go figure out the way I wanted to live life. Which ties into, can I just say, ties into this idea of privilege because um, it is so... And it's not something I realized then, but even when I was a 14-year-old, you know, and I got in a lot of trouble, like 50, de- deten- 50 detentions or something in 7th grade or 8th grade. But, like... You just know if I was a black kid getting 50 detentions, I would have been thrown out. You'd, been, you'd be shot by no, now. No, I would have been thrown out. Like, yeah. I just would have been thrown out. Yeah. And if I were a girl, I would have been told, nobody will ever like you if you fucking act that way. Yeah. And so, like, the ability to just kind of go through life going, like, I'll fucking figure it out or it's going to fucking work out is because I came from an intact family. We had enough money that I wasn't worried about eating. Yeah. Or, any, or paying for college for myself. I knew I was going to come out of college without debt. Such a fucking huge advantage. That sounds that like I a great had. life. I want to come back as right. you. <laughs> yeah. No, that's why, like, whatever, like, I've um, been really lucky in so many different ways. I don't have the dramatic story for me is all just an internal one. The, all the external stuff was just up to me. What's the internal one? What's the going not on your feeling brain? like an artist, you know, for when I was young, like yeah. the being 30 until I could figure out that I could have permission to do this stuff. No. I was a blocked writer until I was 30. Really? Because I remember, yeah, you referred to yourself as a late bloomer, and I refer to myself as that, too. This is just me just trying to really bond with you. <laughs> We're bonded. It's happened. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, why is that? So, uh, you like, when was your moment? When is, when did this late blooming... Uh... Well, that's the thing. When After our first child was born, I, I was working in the record business. I didn't re- like being an executive. I didn't like being in a position where I was judging other artists and then having to, I loved the feeling of discovery of seeing a great artist and being able to recognize them and, and be the person I say to them, like, you know, I see you, I see why you're special. Is this how you feel right now with me? Is totally. Um, okay. Don't, don't, don't do that. Okay. Don't do that. <laughs> it's a joke. It's but, a funny, awkward joke. But, um, 
I like that part, but the part I didn't like was when the promotion people would not be able to get them on the radio or get their records in stores, and I would have to be part of like disappointing someone I thought was great. I hated that. Yeah. I hated feeling like I couldn't deliver for them. Like I couldn't help them. Like I couldn't put my arms around them and make it okay. Yeah. It killed me. But really what that was about in a lot of ways was I'm feeling like um, I was also, I identified so strongly with them. I was supposed to be doing what they were doing in some way. Make- I never had the idea to make, no, I never wanted to be a musician. I like writing songs, but I never wanted to be a musician. But I really did want to do creative work and find a way to express what most artists want to do is that I think in some way is 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 try to get the thing that they're feeling inside out somehow is to the the particular set of um, the particular emotional construct that's inside them they feel like if they could only share it they could find some kind of kinship or fellowship and most of us walk around not figuring out how to share it and I realized after our first child was born that if I didn't find a way to share it, the impulse would wither away. And that if it did, something in me would die. And that when, like in any other kind of death, there's toxicity connected to it and toxicity spreads. And that I would end up being a bitter, miserable husband and father. I wanted to be able to tell my kids they could be anything, but I knew that if I didn't try, and so even though I'd gotten to age 29 without ever smoking a cigarette, at 29, I started smoking cigarettes. And I was sitting in my office with a cigarette in my hand, probably eating a fucking double cheeseburger, and I was like, I have to make this change. I have to finally do it. And that's when I read The Artist's Way. And then I had been also reading Tony Robbins. And so Tony Robbins made me know I had to make a change, and then The Artist's Way kind of helped me figure out exactly how to make a change. And David did. I'd gone to Dave and said, my, uh, Levine, and I said, like, I say, Amy had long been saying to me, you have to be doing more than you're doing. Like, you should do this. Whenever I would write something, I would write, in the middle of the night sometimes, I would write a page, and I could tell that if I could somehow find a way to, like, f- forge ahead, it, um, there was something there that I was able to write in a way that would keep you reading. I was able to write in an engaging manner. I was always, even when I was young and I would be in, in school and I would hand a paper in three months late and just be about to fail everything and then somehow get it in, it would suck because I would have, uh, the, the last six pages of the thing would have been me just like gasping for air at six in the morning. But the beginning was always like, oh, that's really fucking good. And so... I had to find a way to stop lying to myself and or convincing myself that I was born to not finish stuff. I had to convince myself that if I just did a little bit every day, um, I could get something done. But mostly what I had to do was just show up every day. So Dave and I made it. When I then, we decided we're going to try to write something together. I then stumbled into a poker club in the middle of the night and um, called him and I was like, we can... I know what the movie should be about, the world it should be set in. And then Dave said, well, who are these characters? And then together we sort of figured out who the characters were. And we agreed to meet every morning before I would go to work and after he would come back from being a bartender. Oh, wow. And we just met every day. And what immediately happened is those two hours that we were writing, I felt alive in a way that I didn't other than when I was like 
I didn't at any other time during my workday. And in fact, that two hours made everything else much more bearable. I could get through the rest of the day because I had done that work. And, you know, and then we were lucky that we had a knack for it, that uh, we were able, the fact that I'd always just um, inhaled movies and music and books and obsessed over them and knew them by heart. Uh, I had been training for this without consciously training for it, right? Because what I was, I would follow my obsessions and curiosity and the things I was fascinated by. So I, I didn't, we didn't calculate about we're going to write something that the market is going to, all we did was like, man, these fucking poker players are amazing. There are these people, they go in these clubs in the middle of the night, everyone is up on the street. The club was literally underground and it was like, they're going in this basement mm. and they're living this other life. And the New York City, people are just going around having no idea. And I was so fascinated by it. And so was Dave. And all we wanted to do was like capture that, like what made us love it on the page. And we were able to. That's the luck part. That's the part that's like, we happen to have a talent for it, a knack for it. But you don't know, like if I didn't take the, if I didn't make the decision, if I didn't have a crisis point, make the decision to do, to do it, to show up every day and do it, maybe I'd be 50 and never have known that I had the ability to do it. Yeah. You don't know until you like really test yourself and try. You were 29 at the time? Was this 30. Tw- this was 30? Tw- 30 is when we wrote Rounders. And what was your day job? Still doing music? Music, yeah. Music and- I had gone to law school at night too. I had done oh a bunch God. of stuff to avoid. I graduated law school. I'd done a bunch of stuff to avoid writing, basically. To avoid writing. And what, when did you start doing meditation, transcendental Way meditation? later. Way later. The anxiety, yeah, way, way, way later when I was 42 or something. What after my you? mother died, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't consciously connect those things, but yes, after my mother died. Yeah. Oh, my God. So you had to understand, believe in yourself. And it took your wife telling you, too. She could yeah, see she you more clearly. she definitely knew more clearly, 100%. Well, I didn't even quite believe in myself. What I had to believe was um, if I show up every day, something will happen. I have to change. Look, I was miserable, so I knew something had to change. And I didn't want to be a... I, I was say I had this conscious idea that I didn't want to be a bad father. Wow. My dad is a great dad. I didn't want to be a bad dad. and I Because th- it's like once you decide to have children, you can't be selfish anymore. You just can't be a narcissist and you can't be a selfish person. You have to... But that doesn't necessarily mean that what you have to do is the conventional thing or that you have to give up on your dreams. For me, what it translated into was I have to be like really alive when I'm with my kids. I have to be the best version of myself. I have to be able to try to be able to encourage them to be the best version of themselves. So I did consciously ask myself about that. And I, I went to a shrink too, right? Because I was like, now it's easy. And in hindsight, it's easy to paint the dramatic moment. And that dramatic moment happened. I was sitting there with the cigarette. I called Dave. I was like, I have to make this change. But all around that dramatic moment before and after it were like thousands of conversations Going to a psychiatrist, mm. th- taking long walks, being miserable, thinking. It's all percolating. It's all there. And yeah. you're, it, there's like long tail and stuff before it. And then, yeah, it crystallizes in like a, a moment of change. But it was a much longer, um, a much longer experience of being unhappy and eventually realizing the only answer to it is the scariest one is to like do this stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. Or else you're the only person to blame. That means you're the only person in your own way sabotaging well, you your always, life. I mean, that's you the thing. Are, yeah. No, this is, I mean, this is the truth of it. 
if you're, I, I often say this, like if you grew up how I did and when I did, and you don't find a way to break through, you only have yourself to blame. Yeah. For a lot of people, there's a lot of structural things in their way. There just are. Yeah. Race, sex, gender, um, all sorts of things can be in your way. But for me, there was nothing in my way but my own, but but myself. Yeah. You, you know, because of like just circumstance. I'm just taking all this in. Yeah. And now, I even feel like that plays into like, because I'm really interested in, so now you know what you have to do. You're thriving. You have this lovely life. You have a great family. I feel like the most important things are uh, finding a wonderful balance between love and then career fulfillment and fulfilling work in your career. Like these are the two life goals. We are all just going to die. It's just a question of when and how. And then these are the things you want to do. So... And I know I, I know you from the internet, and I'm completely addicted to my phone. I go and wait. You have to delete the thing, and I'm off, or I'm, or I, I'm on full throttle. And what I notice in you is that like you have this intent with the podcast, with the Vine uh, stuff, with with writing, with making things. It all comes from a place of you know wanting to feel less alone, wanting to inspire other people, wanting to tell stories, an intense curiosity uh, in people and things, and all these things. Like so. And I think that plays into, for me at least, Instagram obsession. Like with me, like I get an idea in my head, a thought, a feeling, and immediately, just like with your vines, you can put it out into the ether, and then all of a sudden you get immediate gratification of people, which is like, but it's dangerous. Well, that's why I, st- so I very rarely, inst- I don't Instagram a lot. Yeah, I tweet don't. a lot. Yeah. But for a while I was doing, um, what's the Twitter video thing? Oh, yeah. I can't remember. Periscope. Yeah. What is that? Periscope? Periscope yeah. So that was unhealthy. I did Periscope for a short period of time, really short, like two weeks. Yeah. And the fact that I could turn it on and instantly have an audience. It's scary. So addictive. Yeah. If you're being, like, that is so, the endorphin rush of an Insta audience to, like, engage with you, I immediately was like, well, that'll, that turns you, and that will turn me into a bad person. And I just never did it again. It is dangerous for a million different reasons. It just felt to me like... Again, I, I want to avoid in my life th- like thin pleasures. Like I just don't want yeah. – do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't want to um, – I want to chase – like David Lynch calls it catching the big fish. And I love that book. I, I, I've listened to it a million times. Yeah, me too. His voice is the yeah, greatest. So and great. that's when I say to Anthony, play it again. You know when he's talking yeah. about the score? Yes, yes, and yes. Anthony Badalamenta, his composer? Yes. He, um, yeah, I love that book on audio and to read it. But – like um, I'm interested in that, right? In in connecting. The connect and catching the big fish, and so I felt like that thing was um, little easily caught guppies, and I wasn't interested in it after a minute. Yeah, I saw that it could be addictive in the wrong way. That's why I stopped the Vine series way before Vine closed down. Oh wow! I stopped it. I did 336 days of it, and then I was like, you know, I've said the thing. I was really um try to focus on the purpose of the things that I'm doing. So oh, you start intention. with curiosity. Yeah. You start with curiosity and fascination, but you have to figure out what the intention is. So for those kind of things, I wanted to do the vines as long as I felt like I know I'm directing it toward the other. It's not for me. I I liked um, the rewards of it for me were great. Like the reaction, I did love that people liked it. 
And that's an okay thing, I think. But again, it's a, I try to be really careful about absorbing the thin pleasures, the small sort of endorphin hits yeah, and to control for it and to try to eliminate the need for them. No, it's so important to talk about that though, because, you know, phone addiction and all the, you know, and Instagram and Twitter and Vine and all the things, I know Vine is gone, but part, it's partially great. It's great that you've tried all these things and that you know how to, it's like you, it's the future, it's futuristic, it's youthful curiosity. You have to know all these new mediums in which like that people are using. That's so oh. important. Oh, no, for sure. You have to know Twitter if you're like, I want to be a native user of Twitter for different reasons. I was like, I can't be. I mean, this is the other part of when I say the best of yourself on these podcasts. I also want to be successful. Yeah. Right. I also like that I, Dave and I have a, um, a hit television show that people love. Like that there are amazing rewards for that in all sorts of different ways. I get to make something exactly the way I want to make it. I'm financially rewarded for it. I'm um, rewarded in other ways having to do with like status and position. So I, I don't want to make it seem like that shit isn't great. Yeah. I want, I, I'm not giving the money back. Like, so, uh, you know, yeah. but Twitter for me was like, um, I wanted to, I instantly like, liked the format a great deal. I liked that I could communicate with people. I liked that it gave me reach into the stuff I'm curious about. So if there's a great chef, I could meet the great chef or like that I was able to sort of have um, a universe beyond my own. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I thought that was like really a great thing. And I knew immediately that a way I couldn't use it was the way other people my age did, which was like to try to just like do marketing blasts for themselves. Positioning. And that it's so clear when people are doing that. So that like my followers are fine with me talking about billions because a lot of the time I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And I'm going to warn them that I'm going to talk about billions for a while. But mostly I'm going to be on there trying to be curious and engaged with other people and like to learn. I just think it's while it is an important thing instead of just being some like, you know, because I talk to a lot of people and they're just like, ah, like Instagram, what's that? And Twitter, it's like, I think it's important to be futuristic and be curious, but yes, but to be conscious of all these things. And I will ask myself, you know, I got asked uh, by a guest of mine who's older, but who cares? doesn't really matter. It was more his mentality. He's also very successful. I'm in a hustler mode. Like I'm hustling for a life that I want and he's very, very successful. Like, um, but he said to me, he's like, I love your Insta stories, but you you put everything out there. There's nothing left. Like you should, if you do that, if you keep putting out the stories, then you won't want to sit down and actually like tell the proper story. And I got so angry and so defensive, but it's because I felt exposed and it was real because I, I was like, fuck, I think he's right. I'm dissipating my intention. Well, don't do that for sure. Hemingway talked about talking out that would say he wouldn't talk out his novels, right? He didn't want to talk out the story. He wanted to write it. On the other hand, you are building a brand for yourself. So it is very confusing. And that's what I wanted to ask you because we'd have to get you out of here in 15 minutes. But I like, I do get confused. And, and also, it goes down to when I do post a thing, I will actually think to myself, what's my intention here? Is this desperate? Am I just wanting to go for likes? Because sometimes I'll post a thing and I'll go, fuck, I know better than to do that. That's not right. Or other times I'm going through an extreme, intense meltdown and it's so honest. It's too honest. It's like terrifyingly uh, honest. And then I'm like, well, you know what? I'm scared. But to put that is the there. world now. I'd say old people and myself included. You are not old. Your essence is so youthful. Like, but old people um, had a need for privacy that 
Your generation and younger doesn't. Yeah. So you can't look at it through the prism of someone over 50. Yeah. You just can't. It's like, um, we don't know better what's, what you should do. Now, someone who's an experienced artist might be able to say to you, I see you avoiding your work. Yes. Yes. If you're avoiding work. That's another thing. So I, I think I said to you earlier, um, don't, uh, don't do Insta stories before you do some work. Yeah. If you've done the work, like that was the great thing about writing the first movie so early in the morning. That was it. I'd done my, uh, here's a valuable thing that I learned, I think from Tony Robbins. Yeah. What, what's your thing? Which is <laughs> to find, don't just randomly at the end of the day, decide if you had a good or bad day. Define what a good day means for you. So maybe a good day means for me, maybe I can say, because I can't really control the quality of the work, only that I do it. But maybe for me, if I've meditated and written and done some form of exercise, spent some time with my family, that's a good day. Yeah. And like, if you sort of know what that means, it's a lot easier to achieve. So for you, a good day means making progress on the script you're working on. Fucking just do that first. Just do that first. Like it, it is, um, it's very hard emotionally to do, but it's tactically very simple, right? Um, if, if you start with the objective, like the military thing of objective strategy tactics, employing, deploying the tactics is hard, but it's very clear what they ought to be, Right. So if your objective is to change your life by becoming a working writer and filmmaker, the strategy has to be to produce a screenplay. And then the tactics have to be, okay, I'm not I'm gonna write every morning until X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And or I'm gonna write it not or I know the window that I'm productive and I feel good is from four to six in the afternoon. It doesn't fucking matter. But put something regimented in that allows you to do the work that you need to do. And then you won't, then these other things won't be versions of like what they call in the rooms acting out, right? They'll be, they'll be um, just releases. Yeah. And who cares? That's so true. With your first, with your first movie you wrote, directed and produced. No, I wrote it. Dave and I wrote the first movie. We didn't Wait. direct it. Rounders, we didn't direct. Oh, I was thinking, what about Knock Around Guys? That was our second movie. That was your second movie? Our first movie was Rounders. Somebody on Wikipedia needs to be fired. No, 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 they have the order right there. Do they? Oh, yeah, but they, for some reason, there's like a couple spaces. So the Rounder's definitely our first movie. Oh. Um, I thought this was some side solo thing before David. No, that was the first movie. Then Knock Around Guys, we wrote and directed and produced together. Lawrence Bender produced it with us. And then, um, so yeah, that was second. We then became sort of producers. We, we realized that sometimes it's helpful if you can... Um, sort of control a little bit more of the thing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously now we're showrunners on our show, so. But you are an artist. It's so interesting because you're very successful. You, you could not, there's a chance you, you, you don't have to be, but the whole thing, your entire life is such a beautiful life that you have. Well, that's, you know, and the way but wait, what do you mean you don't have to be an, an artist? I don't know. I mean, I've just heard you talk to other people on your podcast where they're so, and I can't remember the names and if I could, I wouldn't mention them anyway, but like, where they're like, well, I decide if, you know, if there's a market for this and blah, blah, and this and that, and I don't know. And, you know, it's like just everybody's so rigid as opposed to like, you know, you just seem like you, you, well, you why lead with curiosity. Why, why do this for a, like, well, yeah. the whole point of doing this is a, some kind of exp- 
expressing yeah. your fascinations. Wait, I think anyway. Why do you do your podcast? Yeah, why do you do like you build it? And how do you build it in and balance all this stuff? Because you know that I, you know, I was saying I want to get, I want to stop doing my podcast to focus on writing because I got so sick of TV development and me and executives going, we want a fresh, cool voice, and then watering it down. The show never goes, and they don't. I don't know. I want well, to- sometimes the show doesn't go, but you got to just write the next. Like, like I, this stuff is so simple. This part of it. You just have to write the next one, man. I, I mean, it is one. that part of it is simple. Well, now I just want to make like a like a or make a, a three hundred thousand dollar like Mazursky. Like I, I love Paul Mazursky. I love like I just want to make that tiny little thing with all my friends and my and I'll talk to executives and, and be like, I'll go, why do you want to do that? There's no money in that. And I went because we're all just going to die, and I want the process of being scrappy and hanging out with my friends and doing the thing. And you seem like you just have this. That's how you uh, the way in which you see the world and you uh, you live your life is is rare and refreshing and the way to way to be. So it's so inspiring. And then you don't have to podcast and yet you do and you know how difficult it is. Like, you know, I mean we'll land this plane momentarily, but it's like sometimes you don't want to do it. Booking the guest, talking to a new person every week can be stressful. Booking the guest is a, a huge drag. Um that's the part of it. I mean, no, I, the idea of doing po- the podcast in seasons makes some sense to me. When I took a few months off um from doing it, I got a lot of letters from people. I I I don't really know why I keep doing it. Oh God! I can't don't really, tell me that. I'm I don't gonna, really. I'm gonna stop too. Then I don't really know why I keep doing it. Other than I learn when I do it. I meet fucking fascinating people, and um, you don't offer me some of the. I just put it. Uh, stri- I can't have it. I was doing strip. silently. I was. I was. I put it over you, there for you. When you chew gum, you're supposed to offer. You give the I'm other person. Chew- I d- here so you would know. You're I was supposed to be like, here, yeah. would you like and some? Then you're eating into my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I also have this too. That's okay. Oh, you okay. Can do oh, that. how dare you? Anyway, <laughs> <fine>. okay. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Podcasting? Oh, yeah. I don't know why. Oh, God. Oh, God. It's the worst Are you back? <laughs> Are you here? <laughs> yeah. And we're back. Yes. Um, I don't know I, why I end up doing it, but I just do. Um, Probably because, probably because uh, I take a lot out of the conversations. Like on either side of doing a podcast, you yeah. go away and you think about it and you're somehow like, I think the form itself is so intimate. Uh, I think the connections are very deep and they're not thin because you're talking for an hour, the ones I'm interested in being a part of, where you're talking for an hour and 20 minutes and you're trying to get somewhere. Something happens. Yeah. Something gets changed. And I'm really interested in in the ways in which we grow, and I think these are like opportunities for growth. Yeah. What advice do you wish somebody gave you years ago that you you know now? I mean, it's just so platitudinous, but it's uh-huh. like wow, biggest word ever said on the level. That's not a big <laughs> word. That's a small, tiny word. It is in my world. It's just a platitude <laughs> adding uh, in us to it or something. Listen to us laughing, you guys. Are you guys getting this? <laughs> Incredible. It's it's just it's not not a, not a big word, okay. but it sounds like it's literally just to do the thing every all the days, like to just do the work. And um, okay, give me dating advice before what you get out of here. <laughs> what do How I can need I help you? from what you know of me before we get you out of here? You got seven minutes. I don't Who's texting you. I don't know family members. Do, oh my god! Tell Amy to get over here. Is she here? Is she in Los Angeles? No. If she were here, I would have brought her with me. Will you please tell her? But I'm looking for a new best friend. I'm not a single white female type. I promise. You sure? I promise. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But no, I'm 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 prepared to believe that you're not. No, he. Look, 
God. No, but there's no way I could give you. First of all, I'm gonna be fine. You're you saw you're gonna solve it. I'm solve it. You're gonna solve whatever the, the question is for yourself. What do you want? What do you want? What are you looking for? Oh, I think I'm okay. I'm looking for something healthy. I'll, just something good. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. We go ahead. What are you looking for? Uh, somebody. Well, I'm actually dating someone. It's after doing all this work. I feel like I've met a good person. So, well, that's great. Yeah, I don't know. Something solid and healthy, and not a narcissist, weird addict, horrible person. But what advice would you give to your daughter? Looking for a. The advice that I would give her is that's a private thing. I won't sell that out. Oh, good. I won't sell that out. That's nice. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, yeah, that's not that's that's personal. Good boundaries. Important. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. You have to, yeah, you have to, we all have to have uh, some boundaries in those yeah. areas. She's going to figure it all out. Yeah. She's going to figure it out fine for herself. Your daughter or me? My daughter. Oh. She'll be for you too. Okay, good. You thank you. Also, thank you. <laughs> you can also, you will also figure it out. Um, what else, Alexi? I mean, I really don't know. I really don't know. What's, what are you going to after this? I'm going to go play ping pong. You're going to go play ping pong? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fun. And then I have this LACMA event. It's like some form of exercise that I want to do. I'm going to go take a ping pong lesson with like some famous ping pong teacher. Jesus. Which is not being... If you're a famous ping pong teacher, that means you're not famous. And that's basically... Should we shout them out? That means no. Okay. But um, <laughs> I'm going to do that. And then, and then from there, I'm going to do this event at LACMA and then tomorrow morning, Adam Carolla. And then that's it. Then I'm going to go back home. It's like, isn't that enough? All right. It's a lot. I can't wait. Have we done this now? We've done it. I think we've done We landed the plane. What? We got some structure for for my life as a writer, right? So, yes, structure for life. I'm structure for life. I'm going to continue doing the podcast. Uh, Good. But if you stop, I'm stopping. No, so no, that's far a, too much. Let's no. make this a death no, pack. No, no pack. A death I've pack. done it for years. Okay. I've done, I've done it for done years, too. I've done the podcast for years. If I decide, but, and also, here's what I, I say. I believe you. Here. Nope. I got a rule. I got <laughs> okay. a rule. I'm not big on rules. No, no. If I stop doing my podcast, it's because the television show takes up a lot of my time. Yeah. If you got your, if you go into production, when you go into production, feel free to stop. Okay, for a while. All right. Like I stop. I will take time off when we're in the like sort of the most intense parts of production. I will. If I miss a week or two of the podcast, I will not stress about it because like, well, I have to make the show. The show's everything to me. Yeah. Billion. I mean, billions is the most satisfying creative endeavor of my life. Every day I'm making it, I'm like, can't fucking believe I get to do it. And so that, you know, so being you, in production, that, fine. Earns stop you the right the to take a break. Okay. What What about a movie I should watch? Leave me with some kind of movie recommendation. Okay. I, you like Mazursky and Cassavetes kind of thing. Uh, yes, I do. I even like, uh, oh, and I just watched The Godfather for the first time yesterday. What took me so long? What does that mean? I just, what, where have I been? What does that mean that's the first time you watched The Godfather? I just can't believe it took me till yesterday. You never watched it before I had never watched, I've seen Casino and Goodfellas. I only just watched the entire uh, Sopranos. It's like a million years later and I'm like, you guys, I can't believe it, that ending. So what do you think happened? <laughs> I'm like, a spoiler alert. <laughs> well, watch um, The Godfather 2. Have you seen Heart 8? Paul Thomas Anderson's first, first movie? movie? Yes, in one room with Gwyneth Paltrow? Or is this like, she's in it, but it's not all in, the, all in one room. If you yell at me like that one more time, she's you're in never it. coming back on she's the podcast. definitely in the movie, for sure. She's in it. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, I, you've watched Nicole Hofcenter's movies, I take it? No. Like Walking and Talking? Oh, yes. And then did you see the one with Gandolfini and Julie Louis-Dreyfus from like four years ago? No, what's that called? Uh, it's James Gandolfini, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Written and directed by Nicole Holof Center. I'll watch it. I don't know the name of it right now, but it's really worth watching. 
I think we've said it all. We've said a lot. And uh, now Brian's got to go. We've said it all. We've said it all. Copying Howard Stern. Um, have you been on Howard Stern? Mm-hmm. All right. I have. I've had enough of you. Eight times or something. Eight times? Like on the phone where he's called me and it's been me or I've called him and in studio once, which was just staggeringly great. He is as the As great as you'd imagine. Oh my God. Well, thank you for being Yay, here. Howard. Alexi, my pleasure. Bye. Good. Incredible.